Let's do it. If you have your Bible or your electronic device, lift it above your head. Let's make our declaration of faith. Somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life, again, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Familiar passage of scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter number 17, starting at verses number 8. The scripture declares the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hand, that's good, man, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. 14 declares, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Everybody shout remember. Something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heaven. Father, now in Jesus' mighty name, I want to thank you once again, God, for gracing me with an opportunity to talk to folk that you love. And because I know that this is an assignment to talk to people you love, I am careful of how I approach. So I'm asking you, God, that you would let the words of my mouth, the very meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says... Amen. I want to start here on this morning on a particular text that's somewhat controversial, just depending on what school of thought or um, theological bend that you find yourself in. And it's in the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, verses number five. I want to highlight this and um, just try to extrapolate some principles that I believe are applicable to what God has to say today. Exodus, chapter number 20, verses number five, the scripture declares, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Reading the same scripture in the NIV, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So from this particular text, we get an idea of what we term as generational curses. Everybody shout generational curses. Generational curses. And the idea or what's, what's implied here is that God punishes your children for your sin and not just your children but uh, down to the third and the fourth generation. So that means babies, grandbabies, great-grandbabies feel the effect of mom and dad's sin. 
Um, to give you an example of a generational curse, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 12, verse number 9, this is after the man of God, King David, has sinned with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, and Nathan the prophet has confronted him. And Nathan goes to him and he says, why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. You are seeing here the effect of a generational curse where God is saying, I'm going to punish your babies for your sin, and not only your babies, it's not going to depart from your house. It's going to affect your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren down to the third and fourth generation. Now, for those of you all who say, that ain't fair, I feel you, but what you have to do is you have to weigh the punishment of God against the mercy of the Lord. You, you have to weigh his punishment against his mercy. In Numbers 14, 18, they give the same sentiment, but it speaks more also of the mercy of God and not just the punishment. The Bible declares, Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is slow to anger. And abounding in what type of love, y'all? Steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. So God is, he's loving, he is slow to anger, he is steadfast in love. But for those of you all who persist in doing your own thing, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. So as I'm kind of thinking about this, um, Wow, this, this generational curse that we see in Scripture where children are actually um, punished for the sins of their father. How does God actually do this? How does he execute punishment? How does he execute judgment upon a disobedient people? And, and I, I want to introduce a concept that some of you all may not be familiar with. If you've never heard it before, you probably will fight it until you go home and read it for yourself, and you'll be like, oh, Pastor, I guess, he w I guess, I guess Reb was right. When God seeks to instill punishment upon his people, now, now first of all, we have to understand the proper purpose of punishment. Because some of you all punish y'all kids, but not the proper way. <laughs> you whoop them till you feel better. <laughs> that's, that's the way some of y'all do it. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, he talking about you. He talking about you. He talking about you. <laughs> the, 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 the proper um, way to, to, to instill punishment, first of all, you match punishment with the crime. And, and the purpose of matching the punishment of the crime is to alter motive behind the sin. Now, we're not just talking about behavior modification because your kids can behave long enough until you get out of their eyesight. So I don't want you to just be, you know, do what you're supposed to do as long as I'm in front of you. But, but certain afflictions, certain punishments I'm inflicting because I want a heart transformation and not just behavior modification. Are y'all with me in this place? 
So yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to receive for some people. But one of the ways when God gets ready to instill punishment is that he gives your enemy legal right to trouble you. He gives your enemy legal right to trouble you. I want to I show you this in the text, several scriptures, bear with me. Um, Isaiah 10 and 5, the Bible declares, Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger. Now, he calls the Assyrians, what, what y'all, the rod of what? The rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch who, y'all? The Assyrians, the rod of my anger. I dispatch him against a people who anger me to seize, loot, snatch, plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. God says, if you're going to act like that because I love you, you got to hear me in this play, because I love you, I'm not going to allow you to just continue to go down that path that's going to equate to destruction. I'm going to go ahead and trouble you so you can come out of what it is that you're in. So I'm going to give the Assyrians legal right to trouble you. Are y'all with me? Judges chapter number 2, verse number 12. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. Verse number 13. Because they forsook him and served Baal and Ashtoreth, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. I gave your enemy legal right to trouble you. Let's dive deeper. That's Old Testament, Pastor. Okay, let's go new. Hebrews 12 and 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Everybody shout, the Lord's discipline. Shout again, the Lord's discipline. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because, verse number eight, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chases everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. So he says hardship is the discipline of the Lord. So when you find yourself, what is it, verse number six, verse number, verse number four, struggling against sin, and it looks like sin is winning, God says, I will allow certain hardships. I give enemies legal rights to trouble you to wake you up. Some of y'all wouldn't pray like you're praying right now if you ain't had just a little bit of trouble. Some of y'all wouldn't seat. Matter of fact, some of y'all wouldn't be in this seat right now if it wasn't for just a little bit of trouble. And God said, if this going to drive you to me, go get them. Pastor, I, I, that ain't quite clear to me. That ain't, that ain't quite clear to me. I see it in the Old Testament, but I don't really see I don't really see because it don't say enemy. It don't say devil in Hebrews. So you got to make this thing a little bit more clear if you want me to believe it. All right, let's do it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 1. Paul writes and he says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. So homeboy sleeping with his stepmama. Everybody shout, that's nasty. <sighs> so, what's your recommendation, man of God? Verse number five, he says, deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Give 
the adversary legal right to trouble him. And with the legal right of this trouble, it has the tendency to drive him back to the Lord. So, so according to hmm, Exodus 20 and 5, the father sins. And because of the father's sin, an example, there's a tendency of the son to sin. And it goes down from generation to generation. And God says, I need you to understand that if you willingly turn against me, not only will I trouble you, but there's a curse that will come also on your son, your grandson, and your great-grandson. So from these scriptures, we get the idea of what's known as a generational curse. Here is the challenge. The proponents of the earlier individuals who began to teach about generational curses didn't do the proper exegesis to weigh the other scriptures against what's being said in the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, verses number 5. And I want to highlight a couple of those scriptures. So if the generational curse, if it is a curse, everybody shout curse. If it is a curse that because of my father's sin, I am enduring hardship, not because of what I've done, because of what he has done. When we step over into the New Testament in the book of Galatians, chapter number three, verse number 13, the Bible declares Christ has, Christ redeemed us from the what, y'all? Y'all with me? It is on the screen. It is on the screen. Try one more time. Christ, ha- Christ redeemed us from the curse. curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the pole. So the generational curse that they told me was upon me because of Exodus 20 and 5, it seems as though that Galatians 3.13 is contradicting that. Let's dive a little bit deeper. Um, Jeremiah 31, 29, the Lord speaks and he says, in those days, everybody shout in those days. We're talking about the days right now. In those days, they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone, here's the cancellation of the curse, but everyone shall die for his what, y'all? Two things. Here's number one. Some of y'all, the devil is troubling you illegally. (laughs) Some of you all, the devil is troubling you illegally. Some of y'all, I'm getting ahead of myself, are feeling the effects of your father's sin. In essence, there are some people who look at you strange because of what your parents did. And it is an effect of an illegal curse that you have a right by the Spirit of God to break in your life in Jesus' name. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, there are those who, they're like, you know what I'm saying? After Galatians 3, I'm done with that. Ain't no such thing as no generational curse. That, that's it, because, you know, the curse. Anyone who hang on the tree, Jesus hung on the tree, so he canceled the curse, so I'm free. But, but those who are strong proponents of generational curses, they say, I hear what you're saying, and I see the scriptures that you're using to contradict what I'm saying. But I can't help to notice it's a pattern. When I look at the son, and then I look at his daddy, 
and then his granddaddy and great-granddaddy. I know you say that there's no such thing as a generational curse, but I'm seeing a pattern, and I'm going to call it something. I see alcoholism, alcoholism going through the entire, lust going through the entire, line, pride going through the entire. This didn't just start with Pookie. So, man of God, you're going to have to help me with this thing. If we have been freed from the curse, the devil no longer has a legal right. I want to help somebody in this place. If the enemy no longer has a legal right to enforce retribution on me because of what my daddy did, what is this pattern that I'm seeing? I want to help somebody in this place. Put Exodus 20 back on the screen. Exodus 20 and 5. This, 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 watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. This is what the devil was able to do prior to the new covenant. He was able to follow the visitation of God based on the sin of the father. Legally, he's no longer able to do that, so he doesn't follow the visitation of the Lord. What he does is now follow the iniquity of the fathers. He doesn't follow the curse. He follows the iniquity. Now, I need you to understand in the Hebrew, there are three words that describe error or missing the mark. Sin, transgressions, and iniquities. Sin simply means that I missed the mark. I didn't intend to. I fell into it. I was overtaken by it. I, I just missed the mark. That's, that's the definition of, of sin in the Hebrew. Transgression is an intentional missing of the mark. I wasn't overtaken. I overtook. I wasn't coerced. I decided. That's called a transgression. But when it comes to iniquity, this third word of error, iniquity is a tendency towards a particular sin that can often be seen generationally. Iniquity is within you. It's an inborn tendency towards sin. 2 Samuel 24, 10, the Bible declares, and David's heart smote him, and David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people, and David said unto the Lord, I have sinned, action, 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 I have sinned, I missed the mark greatly, and that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity. What is he trying to say? He's saying, I sinned by numbering the people, but the, the, the cause of the sin is the internal iniquity or the tendency towards this type of sin. He says, take away this tendency, for I have done very foolishly. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He says, if I follow after the tendency that's in my heart towards a particular sin, I'm cutting off God's ear in my life. Psalms 51 and 5, behold, David says, I was shaping in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. I, I, want, you, I want you to uh, look at this because the, the devil follows iniquity in your family.
The devil knows the weakness of your family. Because the enemy just didn't show up when you got here. Never forget, I was 18, 18 years old on my, on my senior night. We wasn't senior night. It was my graduation night. Me and Pop, we was in the kitchen, and Pop sat me down. And I'll never forget the, this, this, out of all the things that my daddy has ever taught me, showed me, shared with me, that night was the catalyst. It was the most important thing he had ever showed me. My daddy sat me down graduation night. I don't know what made him share, but he said, son, the enemy has fought me all my life in three areas. And he named those three areas here, here, and here. And as a son, I just listened and I just embraced it and I just carried it with me only to become a man, an adult myself, and the same devil that fought my daddy came and he fought me the same way. Why did he fight me the same way? Because the enemy knows that that's the generational tendency within the McGee's. Devil was here not only with my daddy, but my granddaddy and my great-granddaddy, and he know what my great-granddaddy fell to, and, and if, if I got him and it's in his bloodline, if that is the iniquity, if that is the... Y'all, I want to throw this microphone at some of y'all right now. I need y'all to hear me. Because God showed me something, and um, yeah, I tripped about it. I tripped about it real hard. I thought about my kids. I thought about my, my, my children. Um, scientifically, there is this concept that's known as epigenetics. Epigenetics is the transfer of not just DNA, but the gene code of the parent to the child. The gene code of what's going on in the parent actually transfers to the child. And, and this particular study that the scientists did, these, these random monkeys, they migrated to a much colder area. And in their migration, their bodies couldn't handle the temperatures of that particular area and their tails literally froze off, all of them. And it happened for several generations until the newborn babies stopped being born with tails because the gene codes changed in the parent. What was in the parent went down to the child. I'm telling you that naturally there is both a natural and a spiritual transfer from mom, dad, down to the babies. Now, I'm blown away because, uh, First Lady, I thought about this today, this morning, this morning. It just, it just, it just, it made me want to cry. It made me, it made me want to cry. I look at all of my kids right now, and when I look over their lives, the major things that they've had a challenge with have been the very thing that I didn't overcome or we didn't overcome when they were born. I look at Aisha and the major challenges in her life, I look at her mom and I see around the same time the thing that she shared with me before she birthed her. I look at Greg Jr. now and the major things I've had to walk him through was some of the major things that I didn't overcome when he was born. Now this is what's crazy because I look at Greg Jr. and then I look at Charity and watch this. There are certain things that Charity don't deal with that Greg deal with because by the time Charity was born, I was good in that particular area. But the area she does struggle with, 
I see it was the same struggle that I had right before she was born. By the time Teresa was born, I was perfect, so she just got all her mama's flaws. Everybody shout, it is in the bloodline. And the devil knows that he can't follow a curse, but he does follow an, an iniquity. Look it up in the Greek and the Hebrew yourself. It is an inward being towards a particular sin. And this iniquity travels from generation to generation. The devil follows the bloodline, cannot follow the curse, but he attacks you based on your tendencies towards sin. David says, Psalms 51 and 5, Behold, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was, I was born with this bend. So look what he says, verse number 6. He says, mm, I took it out. I took it out. Yeah, verse number 6, he's going to say, You desire, you desire purity and cleanness on the inside. That's what verse number 6 is going to say. And then he's going to say, verse number 7, I was born this way, verse number five. Verse number six, this is what you want. So this is what you're going to have to do, verse number seven. Purge me with hyssop that I might be clean. Wash me and I'll be white as the snow. If you don't take your blood and wash this iniquity out of me, I can't help but to fall here again. The devil can't follow the curse because he don't have a legal right anymore. So what the enemy does is he follows the iniquity that's in the bloodline. Same area your mama fell, the enemy comes after you. Same area your daddy fell, the devil comes after you. The same area your grandparents fell, and you might not even know. It's like, my God, my God, my God. Ah, it's a tragedy. Such, such, such a tragedy. Such a, such a tragedy. If mom and dad don't prepare you for the fight that you gotta go through. First Kings 11 and one, the Bible declares, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives. Bro, I don't understand. <laughs> Bro, man, struggling with one, and you had how many? <laughs> 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Look, 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 look. And his wives. Led him astray, and Solomon grew old. His wives did what, y'all? Turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So you see my man Solomon with a serious lust problem. Here's the question. Where you get it from? Where they come from? He just woke up and he like, Ah, where y'all at? <laughs> no, it didn't happen like that. It's iniquity in the bloodline. What was in the father? Now becomes the son's fight. 
Genesis 26 and 6. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid, he was afraid, he was afraid, he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, hmm, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. Eight, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Here's the question. Why did you say she is my sister? Now Isaac answers him because I thought I might lose my life. But I believe the real answer is because this is the same lie your daddy told. Same lie that your daddy told. You lie because lying in you. And it's like, why? It's like, I don't, I want to tell the truth. I just, I just want to tell the truth. But it's like, it's, it's like, it's because the enemy targets your iniquity, your area of weakness. So he may deal with lying for one person, but pride for another, and then lust for another, anger for another, and you trying to figure out why I can't have their trials. Why the devil won't try me there? Because the devil knows you strong there. That ain't your iniquity. Anybody with me in this place? So, I'm tripping, man. I want to get down to my foundational text. I'm tripping about something. I'm tripping, I'm tripping, I'm tripping, I'm tripping. Book of Exodus, chapter number 17, verse number 8. Familiar passage of scripture. We've ministered here a bunch of times. But I saw something in the text, Jeff. Man, I just, I just read over that. I read too fast, and I read over that what I saw in the text. And I want to highlight it now. Exodus 17, 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. They, they, they attacked them. It was a surprise attack. They, they're fresh out of Egypt. They think everything is okay, and here this, this, this band of raiders come out of nowhere, a surprise attack. The Bible declares, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Look at 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is what jumped out at me that have never been highlighted in my spirit before. Verse number 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears what happened today because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Write, Moses, write this down. Something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears 
And I shared with you guys a couple of weeks that I'm in a strange place in my life. I'm in a place that I believe is a Moses place, and I believe that many of you all are there as well. It's, it's, a, it's a new journey. It's a place that you've never been before, and there aren't a lot of mentors and role models that have actually traveled the road that you're traveling now. So what God is doing as a leader, as a, as a starter, as a pace setter, you, you have to do some things not only to win, but you got to set some things in place for those who are coming behind you. So there are two questions as to why God wants Moses to write these things down. Number one, he wants him to write it down is because the same devil, Amalekites, that's fighting you is going to fight your successor. And I'm telling you today, the same enemy that's fighting you, mom, going to fight your baby girl. Same devil that's fighting you, going to fight your son. So why write it down? Because, number one, they got to fight the same battle. Here's the second, second reason of not just why you got to write it down, but everybody shout what? So this is what Moses has to write down for Joshua because we see it in the scripture. Here's the first thing that you need to write down to instruct to Joshua. The fact that I did fight. It's so quiet up in here. Let me tell you why some are oh, so quiet up in here because some of y'all have chose not to fight but to indulge. You ain't fighting against sin. You ain't fighting against the devil no more. You enjoying it. So it's hard for some of y'all to write it down because you ain't got nothing to write because you ain't decided to fight yet. The question is, are you going to actually give your babies a battle plan? Are you going to leave them to have to be Moses themselves when they could have had it easier and actually, watch this, stood on, your, stood on mom's shoulder as a Joshua, are y'all with me in this place, in that generation? You got to decide to fight yourself. So that's the first thing that you need to write down. And then, number two, what you need to write down, you need to give him the real success of the battle. The real success is, Moses, that you didn't do it by yourself. You had people that you actually sent to war for you and with you, but not only did you send people to war, but you also prayed. Tell them while they were out on the battlefield that I was in a posture of prayer. And I prayed so long until I got tired, and not only did I pray, but I enlisted some intercessors to help me pray. The question is, are you praying by yourself against what you're going through? If Moses is the intercessor, here's my challenge, who's interceding for the intercessors? If Moses is the intercessor for the people. He's the one making up the hedge. Ezekiel standing in the gap. The question is, who is interceding for the intercessors? Now, I hear some of y'all in the spirit saying, well, ain't nobody praying for me, and, and I pray for everybody, and people call me. Well, well, I hear you whining, but the problem is you ain't asked nobody to pray for you. Just like you go, somebody come to you and say, girl, will you pray for me? I got X, Y, and Z going on. You need to take that same pattern and go to somebody else and say, I need you to pray for me while I pray for them. 
Because the success of the battle is in my posture of intercession. Intercession is sometimes I get tired, so therefore I need an Aaron or her to lift my hands up, pray for me so that I can continue to pray. Here's the third thing that you need to know. Not only do Joshua need to know that the true success of the battle was in prayer, but he also needs to know that the battle didn't get won. Watch this. Let me say it like this. He also needs to know that prayer doesn't stop until the battle is won. Thank you, God. Why are you frustrated and about to quit and give up when prayer was actually working? I know you're getting tired, and I know the battle ain't over yet, but you stop doing, I'm talking to somebody in this place, I'm talking to somebody, you stop doing the very thing that was actually working for you, and the reason you stop is because you didn't see a win, but the reality is that prayer was keeping you from losing. You hadn't won yet, but as long as you was praying, you weren't losing. So he needs to know that we ain't stopped praying until we actually got the victory. And so this is what I need you to do, Moses. I need you to take this battle plan down. Inscribe it for Joshua. And give it, make sure, tell all of the children of Israel but in particular, I want you to tell Joshua because he's going to see this devil again. Do you realize that your babies are seeing the same devil you saw? And I want to be honest because I was so, so, yeah, let's say it, let's say it plain. I was so prideful at the level I had arrived. When I saw him show up in my babies, I put extra punishment on the babies. Come on, somebody, because you should have overcome like your daddy has overcome. When the reality is they didn't need a belt, they needed my battle plan. They didn't need a whooping on this one, but they needed a strategy. Well, Daddy, I'm struggling too, player. What about you? Are you going to be so proud? Oh, I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Some of you wonderful parents are ashamed to share your battle plan because it exposes your past. Who cares about your plan? Your baby facing a demon. Yo, say it plainly, Pastor. Your baby is facing a demon that's trying to take him to hell. Bump your pride. Isn't it something? Isn't it something? I look at my babies. I look, I look at my children. God showed me this morning. He showed me this this morning. I was, I was blown away. I was blown away. I looked at my kids. Bam, 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 bam. And the thing that I trip the most about, the area in their lives that, like, I can see that's like a major challenge. I can literally go back prior to their birth. And I can see myself stuck in the mud in the same area that they getting stuck in. So 
So it's my responsibility. And this is, this is something that God showed me. This was like, Jamie, this was two weeks ago. God told, he, he, he just reminded me this morning, something he told me to do for my babies that I was supposed to start last week that I ain't start. I put it off. I'll tell you what it is. God told me after every message, after every message, you go to your babies and you highlight the major points of what I told you to tell the people because it's for them too. And if nobody else gets it, your babies ought to get it. Why do I need to do that? Because there needs to be a comfort level between father and son, mother and daughter. It's amazing. Mom mad at daughter for what she's in. Daughter ashamed to talk to mother about what she really in. And both of them experience the same trials. Dad mad at his son for what you said, how you acted. Son shame to really go to his dad and talk to him. And the reality is, if they ever came together, they would find the solution. They would find the answer. They would actually find victory if dad would humble himself and son would be bold enough to say, Dad, I really do struggle. So dad can say, son, here's the wisdom to the struggle. Here's the answer to the struggle. Joseph, here is the, uh, 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 what's the man's name? Joshua. I just messed up, man, I messed up my flow. Watch this. Joshua, here is the. <laughs> Joshua, here's the answer. You got to be willing to share. And we got to create an atmosphere that's conducive for our babies to share. It amazes me. It, it, it happens now. My, my babies, my youngest one, they, they run the corky. They, they run the cork. They run the cork. Like some real hard, hard they, they'll run the cork. And I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But the reality is, their daddy got the answer. Why, why I got the answer? Because that's my trial. And as his sons get older, I know it's going to be the same way. They're going to come to me and be like, Unk. Pop make me sick. <laughs> I already know it's going to happen. I'm going to be a good uncle, encourage him. But ultimately what I need to do, just heard that, thank you God, is I need to help bridge the gap between father and son. I just felt something I want to deal with. There's some of you all who could actually be a help, but you being a hindrance to that bridge because of your own insecurities and low self-esteem and you actually enjoy the attention of people coming to you, but you never seek to bridge the gap between mom and baby, dad and baby. And that's the reason you're in their life in the first place, because you ain't got the answer. The one whose spiritual DNA transcribed to them, they have the answer. So, mom, it's time for you to be just a little bit more honest about your past 
and a little bit more open and welcoming to the struggles of your daughters. Dad, it's time for you to be just a little bit more. I know you, I know you won't, I, I, I see it, I, I feel you, I feel you. Let me, let me, show, let me share something with y'all yesterday. I put a clip on Facebook yesterday, and it was real funny. It, it wasn't, it was funny to me. Watch this. No, 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 watch this. Watch this. So here, here's the clip. Here's the clip on Facebook. My son caught his fish, and um, the boy was, uh, uh, one of the guys, I, I think it was Jay, was recording me showing my son how to take the hook out of the fish's mouth. So watch, I'm standing here like that. Ice, come on, son. All right, come on, grab the fish. Y'all saw, who, who saw it? Who saw it? Dad of the year. <laughs> watch this, watch this. I was like, all right, son, come on. I held, held, held the fish like this. Held the fish like this. All right, son, come on, come on, grab, grab him, grab him. That's it, that's it. All right, all right, I'll take the hook out. Come on, take the hook out. And then he took the hook out, he threw the fish. And then what did he say, y'all? He said, yes! <laughs> son, look real heroic, right? But you want to know the truth? They had just showed me how to do that. <laughs> the truth, I was over there like, hold on. Put, it, put my hand in his mouth? You, in, in his, okay, all right. Now what I do, just, all right, take the hook out, Pastor. Just, I mean, just, just, just take it, just take it out, Pastor. Now, now throw it back. Yes! I showed him something that I mastered. I showed him something that I had overcome. And there's a vulnerability in him and there's a willingness in me for us to meet here so I can help you get to the place that you desire to be, that you're supposed to be. I'm telling you moms, I'm telling you dads, I'm telling you even spiritual moms, spiritual dads, that there is a level of humility that you must embrace if you're really gonna help the next generation. I told my middle girl some time ago, I said, do you think I'm perfect? She was like, yeah. <laughs> I said, do you think I ever sin? No, you don't sin, Dad. Well, well, I do. And the same grace I'm giving you. The reason I'm giving it is because I'm a recipient of it. And the same discipline that I have to enforce is not because I'm being mean. It's because your dad at times have to go through discipline himself. So I'm ministering to what I see in you because God is ministering to what's manifested in me. Will you all receive this word on this morning? Yep. What you say, mother? Mother say, I got work to do. Here's the challenge. If you're still breathing, it ain't too late. If you're still breathing, it ain't too late. It ain't too late. My son has overcome a lot, but I still see some things in my older boy that are identifying me. Praise God, I'm still alive. I ain't too late. And the devil is absolutely a liar that's trying to convince you that it is. 
You should have you did that with, well, I should have, should have, could have, would have. I know now and I'm going to do the best that I can with the time that I have left. Is anybody with me in this place? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Here's the word of the Lord. Um, my, my final prayer before I mounted the platform. Um, God told me that he was getting ready to give a battle plan to those of you all who never received one. So, so you're in a fortunate position right now towards your kids because you're still alive, you're still breathing, and you still like have time to redeem some time. And God's gonna, I, I believe God's gonna do just that. Everybody shout, God is gonna redeem the time. God's gonna redeem some time. Matter of fact, somebody should just rejoice right then and there. Yeah, let me, t let me tell you why you should have rejoiced. Because the devil is trying to convince you it's too late. And I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. God's going to redeem the time. But there's some of you all who are suffering because for whatever reason, you didn't get a plan from mom or dad. You ain't getting no type of support at And for many of you all, it's not that mom and dad were bad person. It's, it's not that mom and dad, that they were just totally corrupt to eat. But, but sometimes they just lack the spiritual discernment and direction of how to be a Moses writing out the battle plan to the Joshua. So many of you all, you've just been struggling and struggling and struggling and trying to learn. And there are certain things that you should have overcome by now just been a challenge. I just didn't have a plan at all. I had to be the Moses. I wish I could have been a Joshua writing to an Aaron or another Joshua. God said he's going to grace you with a battle plan. If that's you, stand on your feet. If I'm talking to you, if I'm talking to you, stand on your feet. Look, 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 look. Look at it. My God today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're standing, come meet me at this altar real quickly, real quickly. I want to see you here. Quick, 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 quick. Thank you, God. Yes, straight across here. That's so good. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. Getting ready to pray for the saints here. What I need the rest of you all doing, I just need y'all in intercession. I need you 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 in intercession. Thank you, God. JV, I'll give that mic to somebody. I want you here, son.
this is what I hear. Number one, God says he's proud because you did the best you could with what you had. Hear these words. You did the best you could with what you had. And there's some of you all, I, I feel you're suffering in your heart and your mind because people only highlight what you didn't do, but they don't really know what you didn't have. And if you would have actually had, you would have did a lot better. So heaven smiles on you to say, you did the best you could with what you had. Here's the second thing. Because of your humility to not only acknowledge but to publicly acknowledge that I realized that I am not whole because of what I did not have. Today, God fully restores you. And God gives you a plan that not, will not only lead to success in your life, but all the Joshua's around you, both naturally and spiritually. That same battle plan, you'll be able to train others. You'll be able to disciple others. You'll be able to teach others. You'll be able to encourage others. There's an infusion of wisdom and knowledge that's happening now. I need you to just receive it. I need you to receive it now. There is an infusion. It's happening in your heart. There, there, there are words, phrases that are being scribbled on your heart now. This is the key to the iniquity that you've wrestled with so long. Here's the key. There, there are a few of you all who understand what it's like to get to a good place and it's like the bottom falls out again. And this is not the first time, but this has happened several times in my life. I get to a place where it's like I'm about to enter a promised land and the same trial that got me last time gets me all over again. God, today, God describes a plan of action on your heart now. Hey, receive it, receive it. Receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. Receive it, receive it, receive it. I speak against the hand of the enemy now that hath illegally attacked you because of what dad and mom did. There's some at this altar that there is a, there is a shame associated with your name because of what parents were involved in. And it is an illegal attack of the enemy. Today the curse is broken in Jesus' mighty name. Today that assignment is reversed in the name of the Lord Jesus. You will, you will no longer, you will, you will no longer be shamed, banned 
rejected, mistreated because of the interactions of what mom and what dad did. The devil is absolutely a liar. Every principality hovering over them must bow now in the name of Jesus. It must bow now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Today. My God, today. Look up at me. I need you to see me. I need you to see me. Thank you, Jesus. This is what's critical. This is what's critical. Is that Jesus actually be Lord. That you give him the right to Lord you again. It's going to be critical. You got to give him the right to run you. Too many of us are jumping on the seat, off the seat, on the seat, off the seat. Grab the steering wheel, let him have it. Grab the steering wheel, let him have it. Why, why, why is this so important? Because the plan is going to be like the following of a cloud. And the only way that I can consistently follow as he leads is I got to let him be the boss of my life. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Just, just one day of the cloud doing this and you doing that can mean years of coming back together. So if I'm, if I'm actually going to allow him to ascribe on my heart a true battle plan to overcome the generational iniquity that's been passed down from folk who didn't train me to overcome this iniquity, then I got to allow God to guide me every step of the way. Will you, will you, will you receive that? Heads bowed and eyes closed now. This is what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to forgive you for your self-willed. Whatever comes to mind, whatever sin comes to mind that, that have taken you off course, that have caused you to kind of go your own way, do your own thing, make your own decisions, Ask him for forgiveness of it now. The scripture declares, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Cle cleanse me, not just forgive you of what you did, but purge the iniquity that's in your heart that prompted you to do what it is that you did in the first place. God is purging iniquities now. It's happening right now. Isn't it amazing what the devil taught that he would trouble you for the rest of your life because of what you did and said? The devil is absolutely a liar. God frees you today, sir. God frees you today, ma'am. Now, right where you are, invite him to be the Lord of your life. I know you believe that he died on the cross and he rose the third day. But after believing, will you let him rule? Come on and make the confession now. God, I'm letting you rule. Come on, come on. I'm letting you rule today, Jesus.